Thank you, Tim Johnson and worship team. Tim does a great job leading worship. He does a horrible job introducing people, though. <laughs> Give Tim a hand. He's excellent worship, worship leadership. And what I mean by that is he's right. I'm a member of the church. He's right. I'm a deacon. He's right. My family's here. I'm not a movie star, although I was not a movie. <laughs> And that's what he's talking about. You know that more movies and TV shows are being filmed here in New Orleans. And, uh, <laughs> and that's it. Uh, last summer, my kids wanted to be in a movie. I've got four kids, uh, Jonathan and Rachel and Anna and Nathan. That's my wife, Laura. And they wanted to be in a movie. So they heard about a casting call. And so we showed up when they were doing the casting call for Jurassic World. And we all got our pictures taken, and we filled out the information cards. And a couple of weeks later, we received a phone call, but they only wanted me because they were looking for a nerdy scientist to walk around in the background. So for about four seconds in two different scenes, I show up in the background, and that's the extent of my movie career. And I decided, I decided to retire, Rex, because I could retire on top. I mean, Jurassic World was huge, and so I'm just, I'm hanging up my movie career hat, so, but that's what that's about. He didn't have that up in the earlier service, so you found that on the interwebs, did you, Nathan? <laughs> All right. Well, three years ago, I had the privilege of serving with a mission team that traveled to northern India. We went to the state of Punjab, and our goal was to engage the Sikhs. The Sikhs, S-I-K-H, is the name of this people group. There are 24 million Sikhs around the world, but northern India is a special place for this group because their holiest site is located in northern India, in the city of Amritsar. The Sikhs have a place called the Golden Temple. And I have a, a picture in front of the Golden Temple. And just a word of explanation about the very awkward-looking bandana that I'm wearing on my head. Visitors to the Golden Temple, out of respect for the Sikh religion, are required to enter the temple grounds barefooted and covering their heads. And so they had a supply of these bandanas. And so you can see in the background the golden temple. And that's literally what it is. There are artifacts inside that temple that are made of pure gold. And even the paint that surrounds the building contains flecks of gold dust. The Sikhs are a, a beautiful people of a fairly unknown religion. You don't hear a lot about them. They are a smaller group. But they believe there's a God. They believe there is a creator God. And they are not sure of God's name. And they don't know a lot about him. But they do believe there's a creator God. And they have their own scriptures. Guru Granth Sahib is what it's called. And, and they literally, I saw this ceremony. They literally, in a ceremony, carry the scripture at night into a golden room. And they put it on a bed. And they shut the doors. And they put the scriptures to sleep. And then early in the morning, in this grand parade, they open the doors and they come out and they grab the scripture and uh, they carry it out into the golden temple where it's read throughout the day. And 
those scriptures talk about the human condition. And there are a few places where it looks like their scripture talks about sin. It was a fascinating group to learn about because you realize, wow, they realize, they know there's a creator God. They know that we have a sin condition. But sadly, what the Sikhs don't know about is Jesus. See, the Sikhs don't know what to do with their sin. They sense there's a brokenness between them and their creator. And they sense that the world is not right and their lives aren't right. But they just don't know what to do about that. So they have all of these spiritual questions. And Jesus, of course, is the answer to their questions. And so in the short time that we were there, we engaged in conversations with Sikhs. And uh, I was humbled. At one point, I had a conversation, and somebody told me about their prayer time. They said, oh, yeah, I pray three, four hours a day. You're an American, and you're a Christian. How long do you pray each day? Glenn, I just said, I pray. <laughs> three or four hours. The Sikhs have a desperate need to know that Jesus is the answer to their questions and that Jesus died on the cross so they could be forgiven, so they could be restored to a right relationship with their creator, God. As unique and interesting as the Sikhs are, they're just like every other world religion. Think about this with me. Every other world religion has some sort of scriptures, there's some sort of God or gods or understanding of reality. There are corporate worship services often and there are prayer times offered. The Sikhs are just like every other world religion also in this way. Every other world religion, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, African tribal religions, I mean, you could just list them all. Every other world religion is the same in this way, and, it, and it's distinct from Christianity. Every other world religion misses out on grace. Grace. Grace could be defined as a free, undeserved gift. Grace is a gift. It's unmerited favor from God. And as Christians, we realize that God demonstrates his grace toward us through Jesus Christ. And that we can be right with God through Jesus Christ by grace alone. That this is a gift and we don't add anything to it. But Christianity is unique in that way because every other world religion says you need to do something to please God or the gods. You need to do something. You need to do some sort of religious action. So what we're going to talk about today is is grace. Today be begins a new sermon series. Pastor David will continue that series next week when he returns, but we'll be in the book of Galatians this morning. So if you'll look with me in your scripture, and we actually won't have the words up on the screen. This is intentional because I, I want you to look at your copy of the scripture. So if you're not super familiar with your Bible, Galatians is going to be near the end in the New Testament. We're going to begin with the Gospels and then Acts Romans 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and then we will hit Galatians. And while you're looking for that, I'll give you some background. Galatia isn't a city, it's actually a region. 
you can see on this map up in the top right corner, you can see that Galatia is a region located in Asia Minor. Today, that's primarily the country of Turkey. And this is a map that charts Paul's third missionary journey. And you see the red line because what he did on this journey and other journeys is he went through the region and he planted churches. And then he would come back through the region, continue church planting, and then strengthening the believers. So that's the sort of ministry that he did. And he did that in the area of Galatia. You can read about uh, Paul's church planting strategy in the book of Acts. It was a very simple strategy. What he would do is he would try to find a Jewish synagogue. Uh, the gospel, he said in Romans 1, is to the Jew first, then the Gentile. So the first place he would try to find is a Jewish synagogue where they would, uh, Jews would gather to worship. He would go to the synagogue and he would say, got a message for you. Jesus of Nazareth is your Messiah. He's your Christ that you've been waiting for for thousands of years. And you crucified him or he was crucified in Jerusalem. But God raised him from the dead and he's coming back again. And so all of us need to repent of our sin and place our faith in Jesus to be right with God. That was the message that he would preach. Very simple. And usually he would be kicked out of the synagogue. And then he would try to find a group of Gentiles or non-Jews. And he would give them the same message. He would say, Jesus is the Messiah. He was crucified on the cross, but God raised him from the dead. He's coming again someday. And in response, we all need to repent of our sin and place our faith in Jesus to be saved. Have you found Galatians 1 yet? I'll be reading from the New International Version. And... Your translation will be very similar, even if you don't have the NIV in front of you. Beginning in verse 1. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we've already said, so now we say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. When writing a letter today or composing an email, we follow a basic pattern, don't we? 
The first thing we write is the name of the person that we're addressing. Dear Bob. And then the next thing we do is offer some sort of greeting. Hope you're having a great weekend. And then we get to the body of the letter. These are some questions that I have for him or something that I want to let him know. And then how do I end my email or my letter? Some sort of salutation, sincerely in him, your friend. And then I put my name, Adam. Well, in the first century, people wrote letters, but those elements of a letter were moved around. And this, in addition to being inspired in God's word, is also a first century letter. And this has the elements of the letter. And so what we have in verse 1 is the name of the person who sent the letter, because that was the order in the first century. Who sent the letter first, and then who it was to, and then a greeting, and then the body of the letter. So that's why it reads like this. Look with me in verse 1. Notice that it begins, Paul, an apostle. Now this is the Paul that you think it is. This is the New Testament Paul who used to be Saul and on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians. He was blinded by a light and he responded, who are you, Lord? And he heard, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. And God changed his life, and Saul became Paul, and Paul ended up writing 13 of the 27 New Testament books. Besides Jesus Christ, Paul was probably the most significant figure for Christianity. He was probably the most important person. So this is Paul. He goes on to say that he's an apostle. He identifies himself as an apostle. An apostle means messenger, or one who is sent with a message. In the New Testament, the word apostle has significance because there are individuals, including Paul, who are personally commissioned by the Lord Jesus to take his message. So the 12 disciples were apostles. Paul and a few other individuals in Scripture are mentioned as apostles. Now to this point... The letter actually matches the same sort of beginning as so many other of Paul's letters. Paul identifies himself as an apostle and then he moves on with the rest of the letter. That's the way Romans begins and 1st and 2nd Corinthians and other letters. But in Galatians, there's something different that happens only in this letter. And what's different is he's going to clarify his apostleship. And so we see this as we continue looking in verse 1. He says... Sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. It's possible that he clarifies this because his status as apostle is being questioned. So Paul wants to be very clear. He says, I'm an apostle, one who was sent, but not from this man, not from that guy, not from this group. I was sent by Jesus Christ, and I was sent by God the Father who raised him from the dead. And what we're going to see later in this text is there is opposition. And part of that opposition may be criticism about Paul. Who does does he think he is? And so Paul begins by saying, "This, this is who I am. One who is sent by Jesus himself to give you this message. And in verse 2, he includes all the brothers... Or brothers and sisters. This inclusive language accounts for the fact that Paul clearly wasn't just talking to the men. He was talking to 
uh, about a group. And there's a group of people who were with him, brothers and sisters, and they join him in sending this letter to the churches in Galatia. Verse 3. Verse 3 begins with the word grace. Grace. The Greek word is charis. C-H-A-R-I-S. Have you ever met someone with that name? I think I've met two people in my life with that name. I think one of them uh, pronounced her name Charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. Or maybe you've met a Charis with a K. Or maybe you know a Carissa. Or maybe you know someone named Grace. That's what those names mean. Same concept here, grace. And we've already defined grace. A free gift, God's unmerited favor. Someone has made the observation that this letter begins with grace and grace occurs as a theme throughout the letter. And then the very last verse, chapter 6, verse 18, grace shows up again. And so his comment is Galatians begins and ends with grace. He writes, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Grace is God's free gift, and peace is wholeness. It's being right in your situation, horizontally and vertically, being right with God and right with others. That's what it means to be at peace. Grace and peace to you. And then Paul identifies where grace comes from and where peace comes from. It's from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 4, he begins to describe Jesus. Do you see this statement? Who? This is about Jesus. Verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father? This is the gospel in a nutshell. This is the core of Christianity. This is the most important thing. This is Paul's main point. In 1 Corinthians 2.2, Paul says, Paul says this. He says, For I resolve to know nothing while I'm with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul recognizes the most important thing about Christianity is Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. 1 Corinthians 15, he says it like this. He says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. And that he was raised according to the scripture. That is the gospel of grace. What we're going to see next in the text is that some people are distorting that gospel of grace. Look with me at verse 6. I am astonished, Paul writes. Now, something else about first century letters. After the greeting, this is the point where there's supposed to be thanksgiving. A few verses about, I thank my God for you. Uh, On every remembrance, I thank God every time I think of you. God is at work. There's a few lines like that. That occurred in secular letters, and that was adopted by biblical writers uh, as they're inspired by the Holy Spirit. 
And, and Paul skips that. There's no thanksgiving in here for the Galatians. There's no thanksgiving. He goes right to his point of frustration. Verse 6, I'm astonished. So he's upset. Why is he astonished? I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to another gospel. And what we're going to find is that he's astonished, he's frustrated because the Galatians have turned. This is not just about doctrine. He doesn't say you've turned away from what I taught you. He says you are quickly deserting the one who called you, turning away from God himself and turning to another gospel. Paul Paul is frustrated because outsiders are coming into these churches and they're adding to the gospel. Now, one thing we don't have in the book of Galatians is one single verse that is explicit and identifies, all right, these are the troublemakers and this is exactly what they're teaching. We don't have that verse in the Bible. But what we do have is throughout the book, you can piece together from the statements that are made, you can piece together what those outsiders were probably introducing into those churches that is so upsetting to Paul. And what we'll see in uh, this text and later throughout the series is probably there are Jews who are, are attempting to introduce aspects or practices of Judaism. You say, well, where do you get that? Well, throughout the letter, Judaism is going to be in focus. Now, this isn't anti-Semitism. This isn't Christians against Jews. This is when the gospel message was declared, the gospel message was Christ died for sinners and that God's grace is Christ's death plus nothing. So if anything is added to that, it's a distortion to the gospel, even if it's adding elements of the old covenant like Old Testament practices. In the book of Galatians, in future messages, you'll see that the Old Testament law is described and The promises to Abraham uh, are mentioned. And uh, the Old Testament practice, the Jewish practice of circumcision. And these Old Testament figures like Hagar and Sarah in addition to uh, Abraham. And so it seems like that's what's going on. What's happening is these outsiders are saying, oh, you want to believe in Jesus to be right with God? That's great. But you also need to do this Jewish thing. You need to perform this particular Jewish work. It's no different than every other world religion. You need to do something to be right with your creator. Or you need to be do, something, do something to be right with God. And that's not the gospel. That's every other world religion. That's Sikhism. They're confused. They don't know what they need to do. They just know that there's something that they're missing. That's Islam. Submission to Allah requires people to go through five pillars. Uh, There's a statement of faith you need to make, and you also need to pray at certain times in certain ways, and you need to fast, and you need to give money. There's a certain percentage you need to give, and you need to make your pilgrimage. There are all of these things that you need to do to fix your situation. And again, Christianity is different, because Christianity is the only group that says... You can't do anything to be right with God. The price to be right with God has already been paid. 
and it was paid by Jesus Christ. Let me zoom out for a second, just kind of back up away from Galatians and talk about the human situation as a whole. Every person is a special creation of God. The Bible tells us that every person is made in God's image. Now, the Bible doesn't define that for us, so we don't know exactly what that means, but it seems like, well, number one, we have value, and number two, there are things about us that reflect our creator. So being made in God's image means that we are, we are special. This sets us apart from the animal world. Sure, we may share a certain percentage of DNA with other animals and There are ways in which we are like other creatures, but human beings are distinct because they're made in God's image. People are valuable. And it doesn't matter your age, and it doesn't matter your abilities, and it doesn't even matter whether or not you've done bad things. God cares about every single person, and every person has value to him. And more of that story includes the fact that we are broken. People are broken. Now, on the outside, we don't always see this because people may have their life that seems like it's sewed together. But the truth is that every person before God is a lawbreaker and an idolater and deserves God's judgment because of our sin. Now, that may seem heavy-handed. But the Bible's clear that you don't even have to break a law. You don't have to break any civil law. You don't have to go to jail. You don't have to break a law to be a sinner. All you have to do is disobey God's law one time, and we're under God's judgment. So that's the truth about the human condition. God loves us. We're valuable. We're special as his creation. But we are deeply flawed and we are separated from a relationship with a holy God by our sin. Now, that is actually the bad news. And it's important to fully grasp the bad news before you can get to the good news. The bad news is we're separated from God because of our sin. The good news is God loved us too much to keep us that way. To leave us in this hopeless and helpless state. It was because of our sin and our need to be reconciled to God that he sent Jesus. You realize that Jesus didn't have to come? Jesus existed before the incarnation in Bethlehem. He's the eternal son of God. He already existed and he didn't have to come. The Bible says God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The reason he came was to die. Did you know that Jesus is the only person who came to die? You might say, wait a minute, everybody dies. Right, but that's not what I said. Jesus is the only person who came to die. Jesus came to earth with the purpose of dying. That was his mission. He said it like this. He said, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to give his life. That's the story of the gospel. And that's the gospel that these outsiders were distorting, perverting, messing up. And that's why Paul was upset. 
He writes in verse 7, Some people, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. So again, they're probably adding these elements of Judaism. And you might say, well, what's, what's the big deal? It's, uh, you know, there's so much about what these outsiders taught that's actually in line with the Bible. Those outsiders were probably saying, yes, Jesus is the Messiah. Yes, Jesus died on the cross. Yes, he was raised. They were saying so many things that lined up with the Bible. The problem was they were adding to the gospel. You want to believe in Jesus? Well, that's fine, but you also need to do this. So they're not denying the gospel, but they're adding to it. And in adding to it, they lose the gospel because it's no longer grace. The Bible's clear that God saves people who cannot save save themselves and that we cannot earn our salvation. Do you know why we can't earn our salvation? Because the price that is required to be right with a holy God has already been paid. We can't earn it because it's already paid. Let me illustrate this. Uh, Imagine with me that you are a soldier. And you're deployed to the Middle East. And you serve for a couple of years and... Toward the end of your final deployment, your unit is sent out on patrol. And then there's a firefight, and so you're pinned down, you and these other soldiers with you. And so you're trying to figure out where the gunfire and munitions are coming from and trying to send, uh, send your weapons that direction to defend yourself and to escape. And, and you're standing next to your friend, and in that moment... You both see a grenade roll between the two of you. And in a split second, your friend drops down on that grenade. And the grenade explodes and your friend loses his life. In that split second, your friend gave up his life to save your life. Can you imagine? The next two weeks are a fog as you're just not even able to process what you saw, what you experienced. And the military sends you home. And and we've seen videos like this where families greet people at the airport, arms around them in tears. And so you're greeted by your family. And you're thinking about your friend who gave his life for you and So the very next day, you contact your friend's parents. You want to be able to meet with them, to be able to express your gratitude. You just feel like it would be the right thing to do. You've got to see his parents. So the day comes and... You knock on the door and they open the door and they don't say a word. They just embrace you. Tears. You came to their home in your military best. You have your ribbons on your chest. You have your sword at your side. You have your hat on your head. You don't really know what to say. You sit down on the couch. And for the next few hours, 
his parents share with you stories about him growing up and you share stories about the last couple of years and the experiences that you've gone through. And then it's time for the visit to end. So you get up off the couch and you say, I can never repay you for the sacrifice that your son made for my life. Now let me ask you this. Would you then pull out your wallet and say, I can never repay you for his sacrifice, but look, this is, this is everything I've got. It's, it's $10. Here, take this. Take this. You wouldn't do that. Why would you not do that? Because you wouldn't want to cheapen the sacrifice that their son made to save your life. Those parents don't, they don't want your money. And it doesn't matter the amount. It could be $10 or $100, $1,000 or a million. They don't want your money. That money wouldn't bring their son back and it would dishonor his memory and his sacrifice. He gave his life so that you could live. And they could be comforted and consoled in the fact that you have life and that's because of their son's sacrifice. And, and that's it. That's it. So you wouldn't offer them $10. But some people do that with God. I'm so thankful Jesus died so I could live. Now here, I, I got to do something. Here, here God, here's your $10. What? The sacrifice for your life has already been paid. God doesn't want your lousy $10 or mine. See, sometimes... As Christians, what we fall into is this distorted view of the gospel. We say, Jesus died for my sin, and I believe in Jesus. And to, to be right with God, I'm going to believe in Jesus, plus I'm going to make sure I get baptized because I need to be right with God. Or I'm going to believe in Jesus, plus uh, there are these classes that need to be taught at church. So I'm going to sign up for that so I can do that thing so God can be pleased with me. Or I'm going to believe in Jesus and join the church. Or I'm going to believe in Jesus and serve Wednesday night at Care Effect. Or I'm going to believe in Jesus and, and do this. Now listen to me very carefully. All those things I just mentioned are great things to do. I encourage us all to do those things. To, to give financially to serve other people, to follow the Lord in baptism, to join a church. Those are all good things. But a good thing becomes a bad thing when you add it to the message of the gospel and say, this is how you're right with God. That's exactly what was happening in the Galatian churches. People stepped in and said, sure, you want to believe in Jesus? Okay, if you want to be right with God, believe in Jesus. Plus, you need to do this stuff. No. That's a perversion of the gospel. It's a distortion of the gospel. It's wrong. This is what got Paul so upset. And this is what we need to be clear about as Christians. There's a difference between 
works that we offer the Lord and service we offer him out of a um, out of profound gratitude and the basis of our being right with God. The reason we're saved is not because we were baptized, it's not because we joined a church, and it's not because we gave God some money. It's because Jesus died for our sins, and that is the gospel. Jesus left the church with one message, just one. So we need to get it right. We can't earn God's grace. Grace is a gift, and when you try to add to it, you lose it. You lose the truth of that message. In verse 8, remember that Paul had previously preached the gospel to those churches. He preached in those regions, and now he's coming back to them in this letter, and he says, look, if I... If we, if an angel from heaven in shining white clothing shows up and preaches to you a different message than the one you heard, let that person be cursed. And then he repeats it in verse 9 just so he's clear and just so he's understood. As we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Paul began this letter by correcting the wrong teaching that had made it to the Galatian churches. That to be right with God, you believe in Jesus and then you do religious stuff. And he wants to clarify this message of grace. I'll close with this quick illustration. John Newton. John Newton was captain of a slave ship. Later he became a preacher. He's probably best known for his hymn, Amazing grace. Well, John Newton once said this about heaven. He said there are going to be three wonders of heaven. And the first wonder is, he said, I'm going to look around and I'm going to see people I didn't expect to see there. He said the second wonder is, I'm going to look around and I'm not going to see people that I expected to see. And he said, the third wonder of heaven is this. I'll be there. John Newton understood grace. Will you stand with me and pray? Father, we thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for our sins. Lord, we have this impulse to try to do stuff to make ourselves right with you. We, th- we feel like that's what we need to do. Help us, God, to understand the message of the gospel. Help us to understand that your grace is a gift and that Jesus paid every bit of the cost required to make us right with you. We thank you, Lord, for this grace that you show us in Christ. God, we thank you for the scripture that teaches us about you and about ourselves. We thank you, God, for your spirit who is our our teacher and our counselor and our comforter. We thank you, Lord, for this church that is firmly and doggedly committed to 
the grace of God in Jesus Christ alone. God, I pray that for any person this morning who has not received the gift of grace, salvation through faith in Christ alone, that that person would publicly repent of their sin, turn from their sin and turn to Christ to be made right with you. God, if, if there are any others who have uh, spiritual decisions regarding baptism, joining the church, uh, prayer concerns for themselves or for others, Lord, that there would be freedom to be able to come to you and uh, respond in this time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.